You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft's security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, Nick. How's it going? Hello, Natalia. Welcome back. Well, I guess welcome back to Boston to you, but welcome to episode 16. I'm confused because I saw you in person last week for the first time. Well, technically, it was the first time for you because you didn't remember our first time. It was the second time for me. But I feel was- like I just need to justify myself a little bit there. It was a 10-second exchange. So I feel like it's fair that I, I was new to Microsoft. There was a lot coming at me. That I'm not very so, memorable uh- too. So that's the, other, <laughs> that's the other part, which is fine. But yeah, you were, you were here in Seattle. We both did COVID tests because we filmed. Can I say, you, you tell us, what did we do? Is it secret? Is it announced? What's the deal? All right. Well, it's it's sort of a secret, but everyone who's listening to our podcast gets to be in the know. So in in March, you and I will be launching a new series, and it's a, a video series in which we talk to industry experts. But really, we're we're hanging out with the industry experts, so they get to tell us a ton of really cool things about SecOps and AppSec while we all play games together. So lots of puzzling. Really, we're just we're just getting paid to do puzzles with people cooler than us. Speaking of hanging out with cool people, on the podcast today, we have Mayana Pereira, whose name you may have heard from a few episodes ago. Scott Christensen was on talking about the work that he does, and he had partnered with Mayana to build and launch a uh, machine learning model that looked at the titles of bugs across Microsoft's various code repositories, and using machine learning determine whether those bugs were actually security related or not, and if they were, what the correct severity rating should be. So for this episode, we thought we'd experiment with the format. And instead of having two guests, instead of having a, a deep dive up front and then a, a profile on someone in the back half, we thought we would just have one guest. We'd give them a little bit extra time, uh, about 30 minutes, and allow them to sort of really unpack the particular problem or, or challenge that they're working on. So yeah, we, we hope you like this experiment. And as always, we are open to feedback on the new format. So... Tweet us at Microsoft Security or send us an email, securityunlocked at Microsoft.com. Let us know what you want to hear more of, whether you like hearing just one guest. We are super open. And with that, on with the pod. On with the pod. Welcome to the Security Unlocked podcast, Mayana Pereira. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. And I'm very excited to share some of the things that I have done in the intersection of ML and security. Wonderful. Well, listeners of the podcast will have heard your name back in episode 13 when we talked to Scott Christensen and he talked about um, a fascinating project about looking for or uh, utilizing machine learning to classify bugs based simply on, on their title. And we'll get to that in a minute. But could you 
please introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us about your title, but sort of what does that look like in terms of day-to-day and, and, and the work that you do for Microsoft? I'm a data scientist at Microsoft. I've been, I have been working at Microsoft for two years and a half now. And I've always worked inside Microsoft with machine learning applied to security, trust, safety, and I also do some work in the data privacy world and this area of ML applications to the security world has always been my passion. So before Microsoft, I was also working with ML applied to cybersecurity, more in the malware world, but still security. And since I joined Microsoft, I've been working on data science projects that kind of look like this project that we're going to um, talk today about. So those are machine learning applications to interesting problems where we can either increase the trust and the security of Microsoft products or the safety for the customer. You know, you we develop machine learning models with that in mind. And my day-to-day work includes trying to understand which are those interesting problems across the company, talk to my amazing colleagues such as Scott. And I have, I have been so blessed with an amazing, great team around me. And thinking about these problems, gathering data, and then getting you know, heads down and training models and testing new machine learning techniques that have never been used for specific applications and trying to understand how well or if they will work for those applications or if they're going to get us to better performance or better accuracy, precision, and those, those metrics that we tend to use in data science works. And when we feel like, oh, this is an interesting project and I think it is interesting enough to share with the community, we write a paper, we write a blog, we go to a conference such as RSA and we present it to the community and we get to share the work and the findings with colleagues internal to Microsoft, but also external. So this is kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Right now, my team is the data science team inside Microsoft that is called AI for Good. So the AI for Good has this for good in a sense of we want to to guarantee safety, not only for Microsoft customers, but for the community in general. So one of my line of work is thinking about how can I collaborate with NGOs that are also thinking about the security or and the safety of kids, for example. And this is another thing that I have been doing as part of this AI for Good effort inside Microsoft. Before we dive into the bug report classification project, can you just share a couple of the projects that your team works on for AI for Good? I think it would be really interesting for the audience to hear that. Oh, absolutely. So we have various pillars inside the AI for Good team. There is AI for Health, AI for Humanitarian Action, AI for Earth. We have also been collaborating in an effort for having a platform with a library for data privacy. 
it is a library where we have um, various tools to apply the data and get as an output data with strong privacy guarantees. So guaranteeing privacy for whoever was had their information in a specific data set or contributed with their own information to a specific research and etc. So this is another thing that our team is currently doing and we have various partners Inside and outside Microsoft, like I mentioned, we do a lot of work with NGOs. So you can think like project like AI for Earth, several NGOs that are taking care of endangered species and other satellite images for understanding problems with deforestation and etc. And then humanitarian action. I have worked with NGOs that are developing tools to combat child sexual abuse and exploration. AI for Health has so many interesting projects and it is a big variety of projects. So this is what the AI for Good team does. We are, I think right now we're over 15 data scientists. All of us are doing this work that It is applied research somehow. It is work that we need to sit down with with our customers or partners and really understand what the problem is. It's usually some, some problems that required us to dig a little deeper and come up with some novel or creative solution for that. So this is basically the overall AI for Good team. Let's get back in the Wayback Machine to, I think it was April of 2020, which feels like 700 years ago. (laughs) But you and Scott published a blog. Scott talked about it on episode 13 called Securing the the Software Development Lifecycle with Machine Learning. And the thing that I think both Natalia and I picked up on when Scott was talking about this is it sounded, first, firstly, it sounded like a exceptionally complex premise. And I don't mean to diminish that, but I think Natalia and I were both, oh, wow, you built a model that sort of went through repro steps and passed all the logs inside of security bugs and in order to better classify them. But that's not what this does. This is about literally looking at the words that are the title of the security bug and then building a model to try and determine whether it was truly security or something else. Is that right? That's exactly it. This was such an interesting project. When I started collaborating with Scott and some other engineers in the team, I was a little skeptical about using only titles to make prediction about whether a bug has is security related or not. And it seems now that I have trained several models and tested and later retrained to to get more of a variety of data in our model. I have learned that people are really good at describing what is going on in a bug in the title. It feels like they really summarize it somehow. So it's it's they're doing a good job because yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We are using bug titles only from several sources across Microsoft. And then we use that to understand which bugs are security related or not. 
and how we can have an overall view of everything that is happening, you know, in various teams across different products. And that has given a lot of visibilities to some unknown problems and some visibility to some things that we were not seeing before because now you can scan millions of bugs in a few seconds. Just reading titles, you have a model that does it really fast. And I think it is a game changer in that sense, in the visibility and how do you see everything that is happening in that bug world. So what drove that decision? Why are we relying only on the titles? Why can't we use the the full bug reports? There are so many reasons for that. I think the first reason was the fact that the full bug report sometimes has sensitive information. And we were a little bit scared about pulling all that sensitive information, which could include passwords, could include, you know, maybe things that should not be available to anyone and include that in a in a VM to train a model or in a data science pipeline and having to be extremely careful also about not having our model learning passwords, not having that. So that was one of the big, I think, incentives of let's try titles only and see if it works. If it doesn't work, then we can move on and see how we can overcome the problem of the sensitive information. And it did work. When we saw that we had a lot of signal in the bug titles only, we decided to really invest in that and get really good models by utilizing bug titles only. I'm going to read from the blog just for a second here because some of the numbers here are are pretty staggering. So again, this was written... 2020 uh, in April. So there's obviously probably updated numbers since then, but it said at Microsoft, 47,000 developers generate nearly 30,000 bugs a month, which is amazing. And that's coming across over uh, 100 Azure DevOps and GitHub repositories. And then you had a, you actually have a count here saying since 2001, Microsoft has collected 13 million work items and bugs, which I just think is amazing. So Do you want to speak to sort of the volume of inputs and sort of signals here in sort of building that model and maybe some of the challenges? And then a follow-on question is, is this model still active today? Is this is this work still ongoing? Has it been incorporated into a product or another another process? Do you want to start with with numbers or yes, I think that from my data scientist point of view, having such large numbers is absolutely fantastic because it gives us a historical data set, very rich. So we can understand how data has evolved over time. And also if this security terminology has changed a lot or how long will this model last in a sense. And it was interesting to see that you can have different tools, different products, different things coming up. But the security problems, at least for, I would say, for the past six, seven years, when it comes to terminology, because what I was analyzing was the terminology of the security problems. My model was a natural language processing model. It was pretty consistent. So that was really interesting to see from that perspective. We have, and by having so much 
data, you know, this amazing volume, it helped us to build better classifiers for sure. So this is my my data scientist um, side saying, oh, amazing. I love it. So much data. What's the status of this project and this model now? Is it is it still going? Has it been embedded into another another product uh, or process? Yes, it's still active. It's still being used. So it right now this product this not the pro- the product but the model is mainly used by the customer security and trust team in Sila. So they use the model in order to understand the security state of Microsoft products in general and of different products and looking at specific products as well by using the model to get the the bug statistics and security bug statistics for all these different products across Microsoft. And there are plans on integrating the this specific model or a variation of the model into other security lifecycle pipelines, but this is a decision that is more on CST, customer security trust side. And I have um, only followed it, but I don't have specific details for that right now. But I have seen a lot of good, interesting results coming out of that model, good insights and security engineers using the results of the model to identify potential problems and fix those problems much faster. So taking a step back and just thinking about the journey that your team has gone on to get the model to the state that it's in today, uh, in the blog, you listed a number of questions to figure out what would be the right data to train the model. So the questions were, is there enough data? How good is the data? Are there data usage restrictions? And can data be generated in a lab? So can you Talk us through how you answered these questions. I, as, a, as a data scientist, you were thrilled that there was a ton of data out there, but what was enough data? How did you define how good the data was or whether it was good enough? Great. So those were questions that I asked myself before even knowing what the project was about. And the answer to, is there enough data? It seemed very clear from the beginning that Yes, we had enough data, but those were questions that I brought up on the blog, not only for myself, but for anyone else that was interested in replicating those experiments in their company or maybe university or anywhere, any any data scientist that is interested to train their own model for bug classification, which questions should be asked once you start a project like this? So the Is there enough data for me? It was clear from the beginning. We had several products, so we had a variety of data sources. I think that when you reach the number of millions of samples of data, I think that speaks for itself. It is high volume. So I felt we did have enough data. And when it came to data quality, that was a more complex question. We had data in our hands, bugs. We wanted to be able to train a model that could differentiate from security bugs and non-security bugs, you know. And for that, usually what we do with machine learning is we have data. The data has labels. So you have data that represents security bugs, data that represents non-security bugs, 
And then we use that to train the model. And those labels were not so great. So we needed to understand how the not so great labels was going to impact our model. You know, we're going to train a model with labels that were not so great. So what was going to happen? So that was one of the questions that we asked ourselves. And I did a study on that, on understanding what is the impact of this noisy labels in the training data set um, and how is it going to impact the classification results that we get once using this, this training data. So this was one of the questions that I asked and we, I did several experiments adding noise. I did that myself. I added noise on purpose to the data set to see what was the limits of this noise resilience, you know, when you have noisy labels in training. We published it in, a, in an academic conference in 2019. And we understood that it was okay to have noisy labels. So security bugs that were actually labeled as not security and not security bugs labeled as security. There was a limit to that. We kind of understood the limitations of the model. And then we started investigating our own data to see, is our own data within those limits? If yes, then we can use this data confidently to train our models. If no, then we'll have to have some processes for correcting labels and understanding these data set a little bit better. What can we use and what can we not use to train the models? So what we found out is that we did have noisy labels in the data set and we had to make a few corrections in our labels, but it was much less work because we understood exactly what needed to be done and not correct every single data sample or every single label in an enormous data set of millions of entries. So that was something that really helped. And then the other question um, that we asked is, can we generate data in the lab? So we could sometimes force a specific security issue and generate some some bugs that had that security description in their titles. And why did we include that in the list of questions? Because a lot of bugs that we have in our database are generated by automated tools. So when you have a new tool being included in your ecosystem, how is your model going to recognize the bugs that are coming from this new tool. So these are automatically generated bugs. And we could wait for the tool to be used. And then after a while, we gather the data that the tool provided us and including a retraining set. But we can also do that in the lab ecosystem, generate data and then incorporate in a training set. So this is where this comes from. I wanted to ask possibly a, a very rudimentary question, uh, especially to those that are you know, very familiar with machine learning. When you have a data set that is words, that is text, in which you're trying to generate labels for that text, does the text itself help the process of creating labels? So for example, if I've got a bug and the name of that bug is, the word security is in the, the actual bug name, 
am I jump starting? Am I am I skipping some steps to be able to generate good labels for that data because I already have the word I'm looking for? Like I, I think my question here is, was it helpful to generate your labels because you were looking at text in the actual title of the bug and trying to ascertain whether something was security or not? So the labels were never generated by us or by me, the data scientist. The labels were coming from the engineering systems where we collected the data from. So we were relying on what whatever happened in the in an engineering team, engineering group, and relying that they did a, a good job of manually labeling the bugs as security or not security. But that's not always the case. And that doesn't mean that the, the engineers are not good or are bad, but sometimes they have their own ways of identifying it in their systems and not necessarily it is the same database that we had access to. So sometimes the data is completely unlabeled, the data that comes to us. And sometimes there are mistakes. Sometimes you have a um, specific engineer that doesn't have a lot of security background. The person sees a, a problem describes the problem, but doesn't necessarily attribute the problem as a security problem. And that can happen as well. So that is where the labels came from. The interesting thing about the terminology is that out of the millions and millions of security bugs that I did review, like manually reviewed, because I kind of wanted to understand what was going on in the data, I would say that for sure, less than 1%, even less than that, had the word security in it. So it is a very specific terminology when you see that. So people tend to be very literal in what the problem is, but not what the problem will generate in a sense of they will they will use things like cross-site scripting or passwords in clear, but not necessarily this is security, this is a security problem, but just what the issue is. So it is more of getting a model to understand that security lingo and what is that vocabulary that constitutes security problems. So that's that's why it is a little bit hard to generate a list of words and see if it matches. If a specific title matches to this list of words, then it's security. It was a little bit hard to do that way. And sometimes you have in a title a few different words that in a specific order, it is a security problem. In another order, it is not. And I don't have that example here with me, but I I could see some of those examples in the data for example, I think the cross-site scripting is a good example. Sometimes you have site and cross in another place in the title. It has nothing to do with cross-site scripting, but those two words are there. The model can actually understand the order and how close they are in the bug title and make the decision if it is security or not security. So that's why the model is quite easier to distinguish than if we had to use rules to do that. I have literally so many questions. I'm going to start with, (laughs) uh, how did you teach it the lingo? So what did you feed the model so that it started to pick up on different types of attacks, like cross-site scripting? Perfect. The training algorithm will do that 
for me. So basically what I need to guarantee is that we're using the correct technique to do that. So the technique will, the machine learning technique will basically identify from this data set. So have a, a big data set of titles and each title will have a label, which is security or non-security related to it. Once we feed the training algorithm with all this text, and the associated labels. The training algorithm will, will start understanding that some words are associated with security, some words are associated with non-security, and then the algorithm will, itself will learn those patterns. And then we're gonna train this algorithm. So in the future, we'll just give the algorithm a new title and say, hey, you've learned all these different words because I gave you this data set from the past, now tell me if this new if this new title that someone just came up with is a security problem or a non-security problem. And the algorithm will based on all these examples that it has seen before will make a decision if it is security or non-security. Awesome, that makes sense. So nothing was provided beforehand. It was all a process of leveraging the labels. Yes. So then Thinking about just the data set that you received, you were working with how many different business groups to get this data? I mean, it, it must have been from several different product teams, right? Right. So I had the huge advantage of having an amazing team that is a data center team that is just focused on doing that. So their business is go around the company, gather data, and have everything harmonized in a database. So basically what I had to do is work with this specific team that had already done this amazing job going across the company, collecting data and doing this hard work of harvesting data and harmonizing data. And they had it with them. So it is a team that does that inside Microsoft, collects the data, gets everything together. They have their databases updated several times a day, um, collecting data from across the company. So it is a lot of work, yeah. So do different teams treat bug reports differently? Meaning, is there any standardization that you had to do or anything that you wanted to implement within the bug reports in order to get better data? Yes, teams across the company will report bugs differently using different systems. Sometimes it's Azure DevOps, sometimes it could be GitHub. And as I mentioned, there, is a, there was a lot of work done in the data harmonization side before I touched the data. So there was a lot of things done to get the data in, in shape. This was something that Fortunately, several amazing <laughs> engineers did before I touched the data. Basically, what I had to do once I touched it was I just applied the data as is to the model. And the data was very well treated before I touched it. Wow. So many questions. I did want to ask about measuring the success of this technique. Were you able to apply a metric, a score, to the, and I, I don't know what it would be, perhaps it would be the time to address a security bug pre and post this work. So did this measurably decrease the amount of time for prioritized security bugs to be, to be addressed? Oh, definitely. Yes, it did. So 
not only it helped in that sense, but it helped in understanding how some teams were not identifying specific classes of bugs as security because we would see this inconsistency with the labels that they were including in their own database. These labels would come to this big database that is harmonized and then we would apply the model on top of these data and see that specific teams were treating their some data points as non-security and should have been security. Or sometimes they were treating as security, but not with the correct severity. So it should have been a critical bug and they were actually treating it as a moderate bug. So that, I think not only the the timing issue was really important, but now you have a visibility of behavior and patterns across the company that the model gives us. That's amazing. And so so if I'm an engineer at Microsoft right now, and I'm in my, my DevOps environment, and I'm logging a bug, and I use the words cross-scripting cross somewhere in the bug, what's the timing with which I get the feedback from your model that says, hey, your prioritization's wrong, or hey, this is being classified incorrectly? Are we at the point now where this model is actually sort of integrated into the DevOps cycle, or is that still coming further down the, the, the path? So you have the main customer is customer security and trust team inside Microsoft. They are the ones using it. But as soon as they start seeing problems in the data or specific patterns and problems in specific teams' data sets, they will go to that team and then have this. They have a campaign where they go to different teams and, and talk to them. And some teams, they do have access to the data sets after they are classified by our model right now there's they don't have the instant response but that's that's definitely coming so mayana how is customer security and trust your organization utilizing the outputs of this model when a when a when a bug gets flagged as being incorrectly classified you know is there a threshold and then sort of what happens when you when you get those flags so the engineering team, the security engineering team and customer security and trust, they will use the model to understand the overall state of security of Microsoft products, you know, my products across the company, all products basically. And they will have an understanding of how fast those bugs are being mitigated. They'll have an understanding of the volume of bugs and security bugs in this case. And they can follow these bugs in in a in a timely manner. You know, as soon as the bug comes to the CST system, the bug gets flagged as either security or not security. Once it's flagged as security, there there is a second model that will classify the severity of the bug. And the CST will track these bugs and understand how fast the teams are closing those bugs and how well they're dealing with the security bugs. So as someone who works in the AI for good group within Microsoft, what is your personal passion? What would you like to apply AI to if, if it's not this project or uh, maybe not a project within Microsoft? What is, what is something you want to tackle in your life? Oh, love the question. 
I think my big passion right now is developing machine learning models for eradication of child sexual abuse medias in across different platforms. So you can think about any platform online from search engines to data sharing platforms, social media, anything that you can have the user uploading content, you can have problems in that area. And anything where you have using visualizing content, you want to protect that customer, that user from that as well. But most importantly, protect the victims from those crimes. And I think that has been um, something that I have been dedicating some time now. I was fortunate to work with an NGO um, recently in that set, in that area, in that specific area, um, developed a few models for them to detect those kind of medias. And this would be my AI for good passion for now. The other thing that I am really passionate about is privacy, data privacy. I feel like we have so much data out there and there's so much of our information out there. And I feel like the great things that we get from having data and having machine learning, we should not not have those great things because of privacy compromises. So how can we guarantee that no one's going to have their privacy compromised and at the same time, we're going to have all these amazing systems working? You know, How can we learn from data without learning from specific individuals or without learning anything private from a specific person, but still learn from a population, still learn from data. That is another big passion of mine that I have been fortunate enough to work in such kind of initiatives inside Microsoft. I absolutely love it when when I think about guaranteeing privacy of our customers or our partners or anyone. I think that is also a big thing for me. And that that falls under the AI for Good umbrella as well, since that there's so much, you know, personal information in some of these AI for Good projects. Thank you, Mayana, for joining us on the show today. We'd love to have you back, especially uh, folks uh, on your team to talk more about some of those AI for Good projects. Just finally, where can we go to follow your work? Do you have a blog? Do you have Twitter? Do you have LinkedIn? Do you have GitHub? Where should, where should folks go to find you on the interwebs? LinkedIn is where I usually post my latest works and links and interesting things that are happening in the security, safety, privacy world. I love to, you know, share on LinkedIn. So I'm Mayana Pereira on LinkedIn. And if anyone finds me there, feel free to connect. I love to connect with people on LinkedIn and just chat and meet new people networking. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I had so much fun. It was such a huge pleasure to talk to you guys. Well, we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence. Keep an eye out for our next episode. And don't forget to tweet us at MSFT Security or email us at securityunlocked at microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode. Until then, stay safe. Stay secure. This week on Uncovering Hidden Risks, 
We explore how you can use a cloud-native application protection platform to solve different challenges. Be sure to listen in and follow us at uncoveringhiddenrisks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.